Amen. So thankful to be able to be back in God's house with you dear people again today. And I thank God for the beautiful day that he given unto us. And we had um, just wonderful things that we were able to do, spend time with family once again today. We were able to partake in some of the fruits of me and my dad's labor when we went trout fishing on Monday. So um, I appreciate my grandmother for fixing those things up. And we got to eat some good old home cooking again from both my grandparents, both sets. We had double blessings today and got to eat good grandmother cooking. Uh, for lunch and supper. And so that means I have plenty of energy for you folks this evening. Thank the Lord. But um, also I got to uh, experience something that I believe every country boy should experience. It's been too long for me, but today I got to feel the crack of a deer rifle and the smell of gunpowder. And it made me just uh, feel like I was back home. So um, I I do thank the Lord for that. Uh, All the opportunities to be able to spend time with family and then to crown all that off, to be able to come into God's house and feel his presence and see all of these people, dear people coming, seeking the face of God together, I think is just a tremendous blessing, great privilege for all of us to be in God's house this evening. So with that being said, the sermon that is on my heart for this evening is something um, found in Matthew chapter number 17. The text in which I'll be reading from tonight, I believe, is maybe many times a text that scares some people. Um, I believe that it's not something that's frightening whatsoever, but I believe that it's something that scares individuals sometimes simply because we don't understand it fully when we just read over it because we see um, the great comparison that Jesus gives when he speaks to his disciples concerning something that they could not do when they tried to do it. And tonight, I want to just draw a simple conclusion about something. I have spent a great deal of time studying this passage of Scripture. I looked through resources and dictionaries and been praying and seeking the face of God when I had studied this message out uh, uh, originally and began to really seek God's face. And, and I have very, very simple thoughts for you today. And then God spoke something to my heart, which was so plain and so simple. And I just want to share that with you tonight. So before we get into this, I just want to ask you tonight, how many people in here, and don't be embarrassed, but how many people in here would say that you believe that you would at least have faith the size of a mustard seed. Some of us are scared to lift our hands there because you know what I'm about to say. You know where we're going, okay? But, but just bear with me. Bear with me. Now, here's, here's, here's where I come from in that. You know, the Bible says that God has dealt to every man, that means all of mankind, a measure of faith. So you and I, you know, God's dealt it to us. We start out, we start out with such a faith. We start out with it. When we place that faith in Christ, we start out with such a faith. So we ought to continue to have such a thing. But what I'm about to read is something that some of you are familiar with tonight. And let me just start off by saying this. I believe also that there are folks today that will use and abuse or maybe twist the word of God just a little bit into some sort of name it and claim it. I don't even want to call it theology, but that you can say what you want, speak it out loud, and as long as you do so, you'll get what you want. God is not our genie in a bottle. God is not our servant. You and I cannot simply ask what we will, meaning uh, the Bible says in James that 
sometimes some of us, we ask amiss. And that way we would consume it on our lust. We ask things that we just desire, not necessarily things that would bring God honor and glory. For example, I, if I would ask for something, I would probably, if it was physical, I would probably ask for an F-250, a big power stroke, the biggest exhaust possible, and have at least a five-inch lift and really great big tires. And every time that I smash the fuel pedal on that, that it would pour out a big puff of black smoke. And some of y'all are going like this, he's just a big kid. I don't expect God to give me such a thing because why would that bring him any honor and glory? All as I would be doing is polluting the world that he created. I don't believe that this scripture that I'm about to read has anything to do with being able to just speak what you want and then you'll have it. But I believe that the Lord was teaching his disciples something that we need to receive in the context in which it was instructed unto them. And us also as a child of God, children of God, we also are followers, disciples of Christ. And I believe very much that you and I can glean something from this scripture tonight. And I want you to read here with me, Matthew chapter 17. Now, before I ask you to stand, let me just say this. What has happened In the word of God up to this point is that Jesus takes Peter and James and John up to an exceeding high mountain in which he began to shine brighter than the sun itself. And he was exceeding white and glistening. He was transfigured before the disciples. They had seen the Lord in a way that they have never seen him before. What a great experience that they had with the Lord Jesus, just them and him on top of this mountain. Hearing the Father speak that he's, this is his beloved son in whom he is well pleased. And then after this tremendous mountaintop experience, they come down from the mountain and they see a crowd around the remaining disciples. They see a tumult that begins to be stirring and made insomuch when they come down to this group of people, there's a man that immediately approaches Jesus. And he says, Master, I've brought unto thee my son. He says he has a dumb spirit or as one as a lunatic. And we find out that this is as a result of a demon that's afflicting this boy. He says, I brought my son to your disciples. They couldn't help him. They couldn't help him. And Jesus speaks unto them. And Jesus looks at this boy and casts away this demon and frees this boy. And here he is now completely sane and whole. uh, Once again, completely sound in his mind and in his body. The disciples ask Jesus privately, how comes we couldn't do this? Now, if you would go back and read Matthew chapter 10, you'll find out that Jesus already gave them power to do exactly what he just did right there. And they come to him and say, why couldn't we do this? Why couldn't we do this? And so that brings us up to where we're going to begin to read. Now, if you're able to stand with me, if you want mind standing for the reading and honoring of God's word, if you're able, Matthew 17, verse 19, starts where I just left off. Then came the disciples to Jesus apart and said, why could not we cast him out? And Jesus said unto them, because of your unbelief. For verily I say unto you, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you shall say unto this mountain, be removed hence the honor place, and it shall remove, and nothing, you see what that says there? Nothing should be impossible unto you. And then he also says, Howbeit this kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. Two extremes are mentioned by Jesus in this text. He mentions a mountain, and he mentions a mustard seed. And so I want to talk to you tonight about a mountain and a mustard seed. 
Let's pray again. Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus for this day. I thank you, God, for the privilege that I have to preach your word. Lord, I confess my total and utter dependency on you. I know that within me, Lord God, that I can't do this without you. I ask for the unction from the Holy One, the Spirit of God to anoint me, Lord, from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet, that you would receive every single bit of honor and glory and praise. God, encourage your people. Revive us in heart tonight. Stir our faith like never before. And God, if there's someone here today that don't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, I pray that they cannot find an excuse that would keep them from coming tonight and giving their heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. In his wonderful name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Jesus was in the area that's known as Caesarea Philippi. Now, in 2010, I had the tremendous privilege to go to Israel. I have stood at the land in that place known as Caesarea Philippi. Some of the most beautiful land that I've ever seen has been in the land of Israel. Israel is a beautiful land. It is vast. It is is from one extreme to the next in its terrain. Totally beautiful. And Jesus was in this wonderful land known as Caesarea Philippi. In that land, it was not only where the transfiguration took place, but it was also the very place in which Peter confessed the great confession that thou art the Christ, the Son of God. It was in that place that Jesus also began to explain that he was going to suffer, that he was going to die, and he was going to be raised again the third day. He told the disciples this in this area. Now, obviously, when they come down from the mountain, they are greeted with this extreme problem. But, you know, I find that in life it's... Many times like that. You and I will experience great victories and have these what we call mountaintop experiences. But then not too long, you know, we can't uh, live on the mountain forever and we end up coming down and many times we encounter a problem. But uh, what we learn on the mountain, we should be taken down with us into the valley. And so I want you to understand something here. There's just a few things when the disciples, they don't quite understand why it was that they were not able to help this man and his son. So they ask him privately. They ask him privately. And so they ask him the plain question in which we read. They say, well, how comes we couldn't help him? Why is it that we could not do what you just did? They ask him this because, once again, in Matthew 10, Jesus gave them power to do exactly what he had just done. Insomuch that he sent them out and they did those very things. But for some reason, they were not able not able to help this man, nor his son. So Jesus answers simply, he says, because of your unbelief. Now, if we're being honest tonight, I'm sure that every one of us face times, I have as well, that you have, you feel like that unbelief rises up, that concern, that fear rises up in you and challenges your faith. I believe that, you know, we contend against those things and I understand that very, very much. But Jesus goes on to then give them such a simple example in the Word of God. And many times we'll read this and we'll look at it for what that it is right there and we'll think, are you saying that I can literally move a mountain by what that I say? I want to explain some things to you. Notice three things simply within this text that Jesus had explained to his disciples. The first and foremost, the most obvious thing that we see is a mountain, right? He says literally... He talks about, he says, this mountain. So the number one, we see the mountain. He says, you say unto this mountain. So a mountain is something that is a picture of immovability. 
Mountains don't move. Literally something that has always been the way that it is. It is a picture of something literally in life that does not move. It's something that you see from afar and of its great, uh, uh, wonderful shape and just the height. And it's a picture of something that's strong and and that cannot be just easily moved or or changed or rectified. Now, where I live in Ohio, if it wasn't for trees every now and again in the distance, you could probably see for 100 miles. Everything is completely flat. And then it's so wonderful when I start getting up to northern Ohio, cross into that line into the homeland into Pennsylvania up on 80 and start seeing mountains all over the place and it's just refreshing to me because obviously if you're used to looking at ridges around here it's something that just gives that great sense of security it's something that we find very beautiful and this area that they were in was very mountainous in fact one of the most high mountains or greatest mountains known as Mount Hermon was right there where Jesus was explaining this to his disciples So Jesus is saying, you can say to this mountain, meaning Mount Hermon, Mount Hermon is almost two miles high, 9,230 some feet, and its height is Mount Hermon. It is a tremendously great mountain. It is a mountain that literally was always in their sight, always they were familiar with it. It was something as long as they have ever known. It has been right where it was, looking the way that it was. So a mountain is a picture of something that does not move. A picture of immovability. So he mentions not only a mountain, which is a picture of immovability, but he also mentions moving that mountain. If a mountain is a picture of immovability in the example that Jesus gives, well, then moving that mountain is a picture of impossibility. Is it not? If it's something that does not move, that cannot be moved, and then for you to try to move it, that would be an impossibility. An impossible task, Jesus speaks to them. These disciples, I'm sure that their mouth was probably hanging somewhere about down here when Jesus is explaining these things to them. He look at this mountain. He says, if you say unto the mountain, be removed, he says that it shall be done. So he talks about something that does not move and movability. And then he uses the example of moving this. So it's an impossibility. He says, you say, remove hence to yonder place. Now, there was a term by many Jewish rabbis that they used to use by, uh, they would say, to remove mountains. And they would correlate that or equate that with the most impossible, tedious, extreme tasks that could be known to man. And they would use that term, remove mountains. And Jesus, once again, uses that same phrase when addressing his uh, disciples. Impossible simply means to be powerless. Meaning, That you and I don't have the power within ourselves to change or move that mountain. Not anything that I was born with whatsoever that I have that's capable of literally just pushing a mountain out of the way whatsoever. So we see a mountain which is immovable and we see moving the mountain which is a picture of something that's impossible. Bear with me. I know that I'm moving fast. I'm on my third one already and no one even said amen yet. I'm just teasing. I'm sure you did. Now, the third thing that we see here is the mustard seed, right? The mountain, moving the mountain, and then the mustard seed. So now we are like opposite ends of the spectrum when it comes to sizes. So Jesus is taking the largest thing that they know in that area, which is Mount Hermon. And then he's taking the smallest thing that's known in that area, which is a mustard seed. 
And he's using those things that they're very familiar with to teach them something very, very powerful. He says, if you have the faith as a grain of mustard seed. So if the mountain is a picture of something that's immovable, and moving the mountain is a picture of something that's impossible, then the mustard seed is a picture of something that seems insignificant. Small. It's tiny. I don't have a penny. I was trying to grab one. But if y'all would actually get a hold of a penny and tip it sideways, a penny is 1.52. I believe it's millimeters. 1.52. A mustard seed is 1 to 2 millimeters in thickness. So you basically look at a penny... That's a pretty good average of how thick the mustard seed really is. It's the smallest seed that they knew of in that day and in that time. Jesus is using this and showing something that is insignificant. Now, think about this. A plant with uh, approximately one to two millimeters in size has a seed, right? It grows extremely fast. It does. It grows extremely fast. It can grow from a seed to 10 to 12 feet in literally just a few months, several months, it can actually grow. It grows incredibly fast, incredibly fast. This seed is considered among the smallest of seeds, and yet within that seed is a power to grow beyond all other plants anywhere similar to its own type. It's a seed, despite its insignificance, contains more power than anything else, than any other plant, than any other seed or plant. This mustard seed, even though it's the smallest, it ends up growing to be the greatest. There are things in the medical world that are called high potentials. Now, a high potential is an active, an active ingredient that even in a very, very small dose, that still can create full effect. So a high potential is something that literally, for example, one high potential, one specific active ingredient that's a high potential can actually influence, contaminate, or affect a thousand chemical cubic feet of air. Okay, let me make sure it's meters or feet. I need to check my notes. Uh, literally, uh, it's meters. A thousand cubic meters of air. Now, I don't know about you, but I have absolutely no idea how much that is. So, I got my calculator out and I figured it out. And I found this breakdown of it all. A thousand cubic meters is how much air that you would breathe in 20 days. That's 1,000 cubic meters. The average person breathes about 1,000 cubic meters of air in 20 days. So this inactive ingredient that almost cannot be seen, literally cannot be seen with the eye, almost, and here it is, that one of those introduced into an area worth of 20 days worth of air that I breathe actually can influence that entire thing. That's literally, even though it's insignificant, it has tremendous power. And Jesus uses the high potential of their day in the description of the mustard seed. So you say, preacher, what are you saying? What I'm saying is this. You and I can choose when we face a mountain to do one of two things. You can look at the mountain or you can look at the mustard seed. But Jesus is saying that the mustard seed is greater than the mountain. Now to you and I don't make sense. But Jesus is talking about faith. And he says, when you look at a mountain, yes, it appears great. Yes, it appears immovable. Yes, it appears impossible that you could even move it. 
But if you look at that mountain, it will always remain something that is in front of you that is impossible. But if you look through the eyes of faith, then you will see that the faith that God gave you is actually greater than any mountain that you face. And you will not, as a child of God, face truly something that is impossible. Now you say, give me an example. December 15th, 2013 was the day that I stepped out in faith and did something that I knew God was asking me to do, but I was scared to death. We started a church. I always thought... I knew God was calling me to pastor. And I always thought that when we, when I, when God set me in the pastor, that he would set me in something that's already up and a running. That didn't happen. I have no idea whatsoever how to start a church. You see me, I'm about as simple as it gets. I'm just a hillbilly. Country boy, I'm not ashamed of it. It's just the way that it is. And I'm sitting here saying, Lord, do you really want me to do this? Do you really want me to do this? And I asked God that a whole lot for a really long time. And I got to a place where God says, you need to do this. So that's exactly what we did. We made arrangements, went into the cafeteria, the high school, made some announcements, and three people showed up. And I said again, Lord, are you sure you really want me to do this? The next Sunday, about 20 people showed up. And the next Sunday, about 25 showed up. And we were, by four Sundays, we were literally somewhere in the mid-20s just because there was a church that was in town, had about 40 people left, used to have 200 people and dwindled down to 40 and shut its doors. And those 40 people had nowhere to go and that bothered me. I didn't know them, but I had a burden And my father-in-law, who is also a pastor, a great, great wisdom. And he says, if you have a burden for those people, then you need to pray about it. And I said, what are you talking about? And he says, you better be praying what God has that burden on your heart for. And it turned out that after a lot of wrestling, it was because God wanted me to start a church. Now, I want you to understand that was seven, almost eight years ago. Now, I was just praying, Lord, give us a building. No, folks, you and I don't realize when we walk into a church that's beautiful like this, you don't understand all of the prayers and all of the work and all of the faith and all of the seeking God to get such a wonderful building that you can come in and call your church home. How much of a blessing that that really is. Because you come in when you want. You can worship God in this wonderful place. You can sit in beautiful padded pews. You can walk in where there's carpet and it's warm in here in the winter and it's cold in here in the, in the summer. And literally all of this great blessing that you're privileged to have until you sit in a high school on cafeteria chairs just trying to worship God and preach. I was begging God for a building somewhere. God opened the door. There was a building in town that literally could probably seat about 100 people if it was designed right. But it used to be a daycare. God opened the door. I'm not going to go in for sake of time all the things that took place. But I just want you to know the church that I was a part of gave us about $7,500 to try to do a land contract in order for us to be able to save up enough money to put a down payment with a bank to be able to get the loan so we could buy this building for $103,000. I was praying and I was asking God 
Lord, let us raise that 20-something thousand that we need to be able to put down and buy this building and get that money from the bank. And I was so thankful that we had a place to call our church home. Only in four weeks, God moved us out of the high school and we had a roof over our head. And I could not be happy enough. I was praising God for moving in this wonderful way. And I want you to understand, I stayed on my knees begging the face of God that he would continue to open the doors because once again, I am a deer in headlights. I have no idea what I'm doing, but I know enough that if God called you to it, God will open the doors and he'll direct you and guide you every single step of the way. And I want you to understand something. What began to happen? People were getting saved. They were coming and giving their heart to the Lord. And God was really blessing it, and I was excited. But I also knew that we needed to raise this money because we had a one-year window to seal the deal. We got in there like the second Sunday in January, and by November, December rolled around, we had to pay the bill. I went to the bank. It was October. I went to the bank. God raised us. Before that, God raised us up about the money that we needed in about four months. I couldn't believe it. In about four months. If I rewind for a second, I'll tell you, there's a pastor friend of my father-in-law's that I had had the privilege to sit under and hear and preach already. And I, my mind went back to something that he said when I was sitting and listening to him preach one time. And he literally said that their church also obviously started out, every church starts out small and ends up growing over time. And, and literally he stated that they had made and built a $3 million building, and they never used a bank to finance anything. They had just simple working people. They didn't, it's not like they were a church full of whatever you could call it, uh, uh, high-rolling people whatsoever. They were just simple people like you and like me. And they just gave in obedience to the Lord. And they never used a bank whatsoever. And you know, when I was praying, God, let us raise the money uh, to be able to literally put the down payment, and that happened in about four to five months For some reason, what he said, that preacher said, came to my mind one time and I got to thinking like this. Lord, I know that I'm really just simple. I know that I'm a man who fails sometimes. I know, I know that that what I'm about to ask you is great, but I started thinking to myself, I'm stupid. Why am I praying for God to just let us raise this when God has the power to let us buy the whole thing without a bank? And so I started praying that way. I didn't tell a whole lot of people. I did tell some people and they just looked at me like I was crazy, but maybe I am crazy a little bit. But nonetheless, I started praying and begging God for this. Why? Not because I could brag and say, ah, we didn't use a bank. That's not what it was. That other pastor wasn't saying because of that. Because when you don't have a mortgage payment, I thought, Lord, then we can give the money to missions. Then we can give the money here and we can give the money there and we can do great things. October rolled around and I thought, well, Lord, maybe, maybe you just want us to go ahead and use the bank. And that's okay. That's okay. I went in, talked to the bank lady. Her name was Miss Peggy. She was really nice. Told her what we wanted to do. She told us all the things that we needed, blah, 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 blah. And I'm trying to retain it all because once again, never bought a church before. Never bought nothing like big before, really. Well, I know that you have to sign your life away when you buy a house. So it was kind of similar, but nonetheless, Told me what we needed to do. I went back, told the board. I said, here's what they want. They said, we'll do it. We'll do it. We'll do it. My brother-in-law, he said to me one night, I mean, once again, I'm working and I'm pastoring. At this time, we're having Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. 
and I'm still really new, and I'm trying to just balance everything because I'm working, I have a family, and I'm pastoring now, and I'm not complaining at all. I wouldn't change it for nothing. I love the life that God gave me. It's not always easy, but it's always fulfilling in serving God. And I want you to understand, I, that means I have a timetable when I do stuff. That means Tuesday night, this boy's got to study. It's just the way it is because I'm working tomorrow morning. And so I went ahead and I'm getting ready to study. My brother-in-law calls me and I'm just going to be simple and plain with you because this is how we speak to each other. He's like, dude, he said, there's a revival. He said, up Rubyville. He said, why don't you come up with me? I'm like, man, I can't do that. He's like, why? And I said, I got to study tonight, man. I got to preach tomorrow. I'm preaching tomorrow. He said, man, just come on. God bless you. Let's go. Come on with me. He said, you just got to sit down and get some preaching in. And that's true. That's true. That's true. You got to take in. If you're giving out a lot, you got to be able to sit down and take in. It's a privilege to do that. But I want you to understand. He's like, come on, just do it. And you know what? The flesh is saying, don't. Don't. You're tired. Don't do it. And then I'm, the responsible part of me is saying, you got to study. But I felt something deep inside just saying, go. Go. I didn't have plans to go. And I said, all right, I'll go. This is a two-hour drive from where I live. That means I'm fixing to get home at like 1130 at night. And so we just went. He drove and we just went up there. We stopped at McDonald's. That's what you all call around here, ain't it? McDonald's. We stopped at McDonald's, got us a couple cheeseburgers, went all the way up through, got there, went in. And that pastor that was there, once again, knows my father-in-law. And he heard, he heard about God calling us to start a church and just a little bit about what we were trying to do. And he heard about that. And he asked me in the prayer room, they were all praying before church. And you know what? This revival is going the way that it is because you folks were praying. Just so you know, when God's people pray, God meets with his people. God hears us when we pray. And I want you to understand those people were back there praying. And he said, why don't you just give a small testimony about what God's doing in Blanchester. And I told him, what a great privilege to be able to brag on God for some things. And I told him a little bit about what God was doing. And we prayed, went out, sat down. When I go to, a, when I go to revival, I like to sit within the th- first three, three rows up front. I like to sit in a spitting zone. You know what I'm saying? I like to know that I, I'm, right in, I'm right in there, close to where the anointing is, praise God. And I, we sat right up front, right up front. That's what we did, we sat there. And... The pastor goes up to open up in the service and he calls me up. He didn't know I was coming. I didn't know I was coming. He calls me up and asked me to do the same thing that he asked me to do in the prayer room. And so I said, okay. I went up. There's about 600 people there. This is a pretty big church. And I stood up in front of them. And I just told them a little bit about, you know, where we started. And thank God where he brought us to. And, you know, we're fixing to buy a building. And, and you know, all the other stuff that I just told you. I opened up in prayer. Went down, sat down. Then the singing group that was there got up and started singing beautifully, wonderful. The assistant pastor, he's sitting over on this side, actually on the far side of the church. He gets up, he comes over, he walks down the steps, comes over to me, and he hugs me. And he said, brother, I'm praying for you. And he shakes my hand, and he puts, like, he puts, he puts money in it. And, and, you know, I don't know about y'all, but that's something that, like, the old-timers called a hallelujah handshake. I don't know why, but that just did. But, and I said, thank you so much, buddy. And I hugged him and I said, I appreciate you. You know, people don't need to do stuff like that. And he, right in the middle of service, you just got up while they were singing. He just felt God pulling his heart. I want you to know something. You can see the video at that church. For the next 20 minutes, people that I do not know started getting up, coming over and hugging me, saying they're praying for me and started giving money to me for the church to be able to buy the building, to be able to 
put something down even more. And they continued to do that. For 20 minutes that went on. Now you've got to picture me. I almost can't stand at this point. The presence of God in that service was so strong. And people coming over in the love of God. Just doing. They don't even know me. And they're doing this. And I'm not looking. I'm just going like this. And I'm crying. I can't see who it is in front of me that's hugging me and saying they're praying for me. All I remember, one guy came up to me. Tw- he came up to me two times. He said, I got back to my seat. The Lord says, quit being so stingy. Give it all. He said, so he came back and gave it. <laughs> Little girl came up to me and dumped change in my hand. I looked like I had softballs in my suit jacket. My pants were swollen. My suit jacket was swollen out. After about 20 minutes, it kind of faded. And the singing group, you know, they sang some more. And they took me in the back real quick. And they just wanted to count because they wanted to be able to tell their people, look what you all just did. Look what God just had you folks do. And there was almost $5,000 that they gave us that night. Then, then when we come out, you know, they, they, they said, you know what? We want, to, we want to pray for you. We want to ask God's blessing upon your ministry. And they took me and they all gathered around. A lot of the preachers in that church, they just started praying and asking God to bless us. And I was so grateful. I was just overwhelmed by just their love that they were showing me. And I was just really getting charged and filled up. And then something happened that I, I do not to this day. I, sometimes I can't even hardly believe that, that what happened happened. But that pastor stood up. In the middle of a homecoming or of a revival service, and he simply said, I've been pastoring here for like 32, 34 years. He said, and I'm never done what I'm about to do. He said, but two of my deacons came up to me and said, Pastor, you think we ought to have a board meeting right now? And he said, so I'm calling a board meeting right now. He said, board, get up. He said, come back here. And he looked at the singing group. He said, Brother Mike, keep on singing. He said, we'll be right back. And they disappeared. And I stood there still. I just couldn't even hardly believe what was happening. But you know, it seemed like maybe two or three minutes next, you know, the door busted open where they were. And, uh, and they come up front and the pastor pulled me up front and there were people that were just praising God that night. You, I'm telling you, I could not describe to you how you could just feel the love of God in that place. Unbelievable. And... He pulled me up on that stage and he said, I just want to let you know that the board just voted to give you, he said, no, $95,000 to buy your church. He said, we're giving you a check tonight. So I want you to understand something right there. That I almost gave up asking God to do something for His honor and His glory completely. I almost gave up. It was October. I went to the bank. And literally here it was that God taught me that even under the end, when you're looking at a mountain, you should not look at the mountain. You should look at the faith that I gave you. I wasn't asking something for myself. I was asking God to do something that was impossible. And I want you to understand something. I literally told my brother-in-law, I said, son, on the way home, I said, you better drive the speed limit. I said, we get pulled over, they're going to think we knocked over a bank. I said, I'm going to look at that officer in the face with tears in my eyes. And he's going to say, where'd you get the money? So I'm going to say, Jesus gave it to me. And he ain't going to believe a word that I say. I walked into the bank and I told the bank lady, I said, Miss Peggy, I appreciate you, but I, we no longer are needing your services. You can cancel everything that we started. She said, what are you talking about? I said, God gave us the money. I said, we're paying for it all in cash. 
And she said, what? And I started telling her, and pretty soon she said, hey, come over here. And she got one of the tellers, and they came over. And I started telling them what God had done. And I want you to understand, I believe that that gives God honor and glory and praise when we're not ashamed to say what a miracle that God has done in our life. And any time God puts it on my heart, I like to share it. I want you to understand something tonight. I am absolutely not special at all. (laughs) I'm a man that struggles and sometimes I feel about as weak as they come. But I want you to understand something tonight. All I knew to do was pray to the God who who can do anything. And I got on my knees and I begged God day after day after day after day. And right when I thought that it was too late... He showed up and he moved the mountain because of faith. Folks, he will do the exact same thing for you. Too many times we look at the mountain that does not move and we think, we can't move this. You can't. You're right. But I think that the children of God ought to start looking at faith instead of looking at the mountain. Because faith is what moves the mountain. And the Lord told us right here that the faith, the mustard seed of faith is greater than the mountain. Because it's the mustard seed of faith that moves it. So that means it's greater. And I don't understand what or know. I don't have a knowledge of what some of you folks may be dealing with tonight. Some of you may have been told that you got cancer and the prognosis doesn't look good. Some of you folks may feel like your marriages are just falling to pieces. Some of you folks may just feel like uh, relationships are breaking. Some of you folks may have other sicknesses, other illnesses, other things that you're dealing with, contending with. Other folks may be looking at sons, daughters, loved ones and thinking, Oh Lord, they're so far away from you. How are they ever going to get saved? I want you to understand tonight. Keep your eyes on faith that God gave you. Don't look at the mountain at all and keep praying and begging God to do that which is impossible because he told the disciples right there that if you look at faith, the mustard seed of faith, it's greater than the mountain. I can't move the mountain. I can't, I don't have power to move a mountain. It's immovable. It's impossible. But even though my faith may seem insignificant to people in this world, I've seen God move some mountains. And I'm not special tonight. I want you to understand I'm a common man. I'm a child of God and God has made me special. But in myself, I've not done something to warrant God to do such a thing. So I say that to say this. I'm not trying to put myself down. I'm trying to let you know that this is not just something that God does for special people. God does it for His children. So whatever it is that you're facing... Some of you feel like you're about ready to just give up. Some of you looking at things like it's just probably not going to happen. I find it crazy today that we as Christians literally see things and say, oh, I doubt that's going to happen. It won't. It won't. Not when we think like that. If we will literally keep our eyes on faith, on the faith that God gave us and our eyes on Jesus Christ... All things. He said literally that the child of God will not face something that's truly impossible. Once again, it doesn't mean you can ask for whatever you want. But it means if you ask something according to His will, He hears you. And God does it. God does it. Folks, I have no idea what you're dealing with tonight. 
But I felt so strong in my heart to deliver this message to you, to encourage somebody, to help somebody. And I believe one of the aspects of a revival, on Sunday we talked about reviving the soul in the morning and in the evening. Last night we talked about reviving the thanksgiving, the shout, the praise. And tonight I talked to you about reviving the supplication, the prayer, the prayer of faith. Stir our hearts, our most holy faith, as the Bible calls it. That the people of God should be asking big things. Not for their honor and glory. But not afraid to ask God something that's impossible. I pray tonight that you're not afraid to ask God something that's impossible. Because the mustard seed's greater than the mountain. It's greater. If we could have a song to play real quickly. Softly tonight. You may be here tonight, you might not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If I'm being honest, I have no idea your heart. You could tell me with your mouth that you're saved and only God knows your heart. I I have no idea. I'm not going to take for granted that anyone in any church service, that everyone that sits in the house of God is completely 100%, that they're all saved. There may be someone here tonight, there may be more than one, I have no idea, that really truly, in your heart of hearts, have never come to a place where you have realized that you're a sinner. And then in that knowledge, that realization that God brought to you, help you realize that you're a sinner, that you broke His law, that you sinned against man, but you sinned against God. That you've never taken that and been sorry to the point where you come and you have prayed and asked the Lord truly from your heart to forgive you and to save you and that you've placed your faith in the fact that Jesus died for you on that cross taking your punishment being your substitute while you're yet a sinner he died for you and rose again from the grave he's ready to save if you've never done that then friend I tell you you're lost you're not saved you don't just graduate into this you don't just slowly move into this You enter into it in an instant. And it's the instant that you place your faith that God gave you. Because He even gave the sinner the ability to believe in Him for salvation. And when you come and you ask the Lord to forgive you and to save you, truly repent and come to the Lord and lay it all out and ask Him to save your soul. Placing your faith in Him. The Bible says that whosoever you are, no matter who you are, what you've done, when you call in the name of the Lord that you shall be saved. It's not a progression. You're saved right then. Then, yes, He molds you from that point on. You are a progression. He that starts a good work in you continues to complete it, to perform it to the day of Christ Jesus. Maybe tonight you're not saved. If everyone just bow their heads and close their eyes for just a moment, I'm not going to come to where you are. I will not speak your name. But I wonder right here, right now, If there's someone here tonight that don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that means, if I'm being honest, that just means, God forbid it should happen. But if you died today, you're not going to heaven. You're going to end up in a devil's hell. Oh, but how the Lord loves you and wants to stop you from that. Jesus died to forgive you. How about it tonight? Is there someone that would be willing to raise their hand for just a moment? 
for a second and put it back down. And if I see your hand, this is what you're telling me. You're saying, preacher, I'm not saved and I just need you to pray for me. I need you to pray for me. All over the church house, I won't embarrass you, but if you'll raise your hand for a moment, put it back down. That's what you're telling me right now. I'll pray for you, but I need to see your hand. Anyone at all? You're not saved and you need prayer. How about it? Is that you? Would you raise your hand up for a second and put it right back down? Anyone at all in this church house tonight? Okay. By that testimony, everyone that's in here is a child of God. Brother, sister in Christ, are you facing a mountain? Are you facing something that you think, how will I ever have the strength to continue? How will I ever have the strength to go on? I'm weary. I'm facing a mountain. How can I climb this? How will this ever move? Friend, tonight maybe you just need to come and say, Lord, I'm coming to you with a mustard seed of faith. It's planted in you. Grow it, Lord. Move this mountain that's impossible. That's immovable. For your honor and glory, God, remove it. Give me strength. Again, I don't know what your need is tonight. But all over the church house, if you're able to stand, would you stand right now? And as this beautiful song plays, won't you just come right now? Don't wait. Don't think twice about it. But won't you come tonight? And won't you let your faith be stirred again? Some of y'all were praying for some great things and you kind of gave up. Don't give up. Why don't you come tonight, right here, right now. Just step out and come down between you and God and pray. Say, Lord, here I am asking you to remove this mountain. Asking you, Lord, to do the impossible. And Lord, for your honor and glory, not for me, not for anyone else, but because you're God, then you can do it. And I will point to heaven and give you the honor and glory and praise for what you do. How about it tonight? Have some of you been facing mountains? You're so discouraged. Won't you come tonight and let the Lord stir your heart again? Put your faith, put your faith in the Lord for the miraculous and watch what He will do. I wonder, are there some of you tonight that need to come and ask God for something that's miraculous? Whether the doctor gave you a grim outlook, whether it seems that you're facing things that just no one could ever even dream of, would you come tonight and lay it down on this altar? Some have come. I believe God has dealing with hearts tonight. And I only ask you, do not be obedient to me. Be obedient to God. When I pray, if I'm being honest, I desire the Lord to answer me immediately. I mean, who doesn't? When you pray, do, do we not want an answer right here, right now? But how about when God speaks to you? Do you do God the same way? If you expect God to answer you right away, well, what about when the Lord speaks to you right here tonight? Come answer Him. Come answer Him if He's spoken to you. How about it, church? How about it tonight? God bless you.
there's still time if you need to come and pray. Some have already come. What a beautiful place to be tonight. What a special place to be able to come and pray. If you can't get down at the altar, you can come and sit down on the front. You can make the journey to a place of prayer. How about it tonight, church? How about it tonight? Are we afraid to ask God for the impossible? For the miraculous? good place to be tonight. You still have an opportunity if you want to come pray. Maybe you want to come tonight. Maybe there's one person on your mind and heart that you know that needs the Lord. You know they need the Lord. Maybe you want to come and lay that person on the altar and say, Lord, I'm asking you to save this person. I'm asking you to save their soul. Maybe come and just lay down a person on the altar tonight that maybe some have said, oh, it's so impossible. How are they going to ever come to the Lord? Maybe we lay them on the altar tonight and ask God to do that which it seems that ordinarily can't be done. The miraculous. The impossible.
really believe God will help people tonight. I really do. I believe God hears. He's hearing the prayers of His people tonight. like folks you may be seated at this time God's still helping people he's still hearing if you'd like to come pray obviously the altars are still open take advantage of God uh, inviting us tonight just to come pray lay our burdens down before the Lord get the help that we need tonight let him revive revive our most holy faith that we would not be afraid to be people who do not see impossible situations, but see a God who can do all things. It's really what this is about tonight. The knowledge that to a child of God, we don't face impossible things because we have a God that can do all things that are impossible to us because they're possible with Him. Let us be reminded of that tonight. Be reminded of that tonight.
end tonight. I'm going to ask Ralph Miller. Ralph, would you come and lead us in a closing prayer tonight? Thank you for being here. So thankful for God's Spirit and God's truth. Thank you, Pastor, for sharing. Ralph, lead us in prayer tomorrow night, 7 o'clock. Hope you can be here. Thank you for those that are online and those that have made that possible. Wherever you're at tonight, if you're, you can hear this service in this voice, may God speak to your heart. Whatever the mountain is that might be in your life, and God can help you to have that faith to believe and trust and keep your eyes on Him. Our Father in heaven, we... <clears throat> thank you again Lord for the privilege we've had to come together tonight we thank you for your faithfulness to us we just studied in Sunday school not long ago that you are faithful to humanity you have never stopped being faithful from the time you created Adam up until this present day and well on into the future we know you will always be faithful to us I guess the question is, Lord, how faithful are we to you? As we take part in these revival services, our faithfulness is challenged. We need to put our trust, our hope, and our faith in you. Even though that faith seems so small as a mustard seed from time to time, Help us to realize, Lord, that there's nothing that is too hard for you to do through us. So as we make our way through the rest of this week and the days that lie ahead, as many or few as they may be, I pray, Lord, that you would help those people that we come in contact with to see your light shining through our lives. We thank you, Lord, for loving us and caring about us as only a loving Heavenly Father can do. We thank you, Lord, for your abiding presence in us through the presence of the Holy Spirit that you promised you would give to each one before you left this earth. You said you would talk to the Father and he would send us a comforter. And that Holy Spirit lives and dwells within each one of us. And we surely feel your presence with us tonight. We thank you, Lord, for our speaker who has come. We thank you for the faith that you instilled in him to move ahead, leading that flock in Ohio. It makes us wonder, Lord, where those folks would be today if it had not been for one person being obedient to your calling. We ask, Lord, you would continue to bless his ministry where he is at or wherever you lead him in the days that lie ahead. We ask, Lord, that you would guide, lead, and direct each one of us in the path we should go. We are just wanderers here, Lord, without your guidance, without your leadership. Help us never to try to get ahead of you, Lord, but help us to be close followers walking in the footsteps that you, that you lay out ahead of us. Lord, again, we thank you for this day and for this service tonight, for the presence of your Spirit. 
We think about the service that is tomorrow night. And who knows, Lord, we may not be here tomorrow night. Maybe, just maybe, that eastern sky would split between now and then. And you would come to claim your church. Boy, what a glorious day that will be. As the song says, when my Jesus I shall see. When I look upon his face coming through that eastern sky. The one who saved me by his grace. What a day, glorious day that will be. But Lord, if you tarry, I pray that you would be with us as we gather together tomorrow night to worship you and to have our hearts challenged. Thank you for being so good to us. We give thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.